0: We are doing it again. Doing it again. We are really back. We have voices. We have voices. We don't want to die as much. It's great. It's going going awesome over here. Yes. Uh, So that being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. Yes. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will start, as we usually start these episodes, with some current events. Yes. For which I throw it to David. David, current events me. So the big, the big
1: current event behind the curtain a little bit here. Um, it's still 2021 in our world. It'll be 22 when you're, you're listening to it. And we all know that, you know, just like birthdays where you don't age for 364 days and then one night you age a whole year, everything changes when the calendar turns. So, uh, to you people in the future, you know, I mean, you're flying cars and, and God knows what. Uh, we just got the news that the CDC is changing the COVID isolation period from 10 days to five days which is horribly dangerous and stupid especially when infections are exactly where they were at the january uh february turn peak at the beginning of the year um right before you know vaccines started rolling out and of course um it was what a week before this announcement, uh the Delta CEO was like, Yeah, C D C can you can you lower this? We need more workers. Mm-hmm. Like it's this is this they they're not even trying to hide it anymore. You know, I mean no. some of the some of the big fact checker people that that work for like that the publications that do fact checking are like Well, now these conspiracy theorists, and I'm sure Delta didn't just demand this and it cut, but it's like it's a week later, and we're taking a materialist analysis that if the Delta CEO says it, a bunch of other CEOs said it, and basically their power one and so you know i mean functionally that statement that the Delta ceo said lower the the time frame for for the uh, isolation and they did it is correct if you want to go meow, meow, technically to do you know it, i'm sorry life is more than just like written confessions and conspiracy theories and and that total that dichotomy and nothing else sometimes you can materially connect the dots and that's what fucking happened. So kiss my ass, fact checkers. But more importantly, that's this is very very dangerous, right? I mean, a lot of people just celebrated holidays together. Um, spread is is huge right now, and if you do get it, it's not because you weren't careful. If you know someone who didn't get it, it's not because they were careful. Um, there is an immense amount of luck. Baked into this. That said, just like, you know, vaccinating yourself, wearing a mask, staying inside, these are all things to reduce your chances. Just like, you know, someone dying in a car wreck doesn't mean they were irresponsible about driving or wearing a seatbelt. And someone, you know, surviving a car wreck or not getting into one doesn't mean they're a perfect driver or they you know, wore their seatbelt perfectly, but you, you're increasing your chances. And so make sure you do the best to increase your chances out there and you are careful as hell because the spread right now is scary as shit and they don't care. They never did care, but now they nakedly don't care. And so they're not even doing the song and dance anymore. And the problem with that is it's like, okay, we're cutting through the bullshit and it was always bullshit anyway. Um, so I feel like, you know, it's like I'm more sane, right? And I can, I can see the honesty, but they're, I mean, they're still lying about caring about you. Uh, they're just putting less effort into it, and the material effects of that is stuff spreading more, people dying more, especially in prisons. This is another reason, anytime you see the spread of the pandemic spike up, to remember why we are abolitionists and decarceration, and the fact that lots and lots of these places, uh, like Workhouse in St. Louis, Rikers Island in New York, are jails, that they're, they're not even prisons. These people aren't even tried yet, right? They're just arrested, and they, they're left to rot away in... Kind concentration camp essentially conditions for minor offenses that they haven't been tried for yet and it's absolute vectors of death right i mean that's that's what they that's what they are normally that the pandemic spikes it up incredibly and and so we need to redouble our our efforts as abolitionists uh, when we see this Um, we need to be as careful as we can um, and let everybody know around us to be as careful as we can. Um, we need to show people <laughs> um, as that the, now that they can very nakedly see that we were never cared about and that we're being put through the meat grinder of death for profit. Hey, look at this. Profit said jump and we said how high and, and, and we're ready to die for it. And we need to break out of, um, if anyone's familiar with like, the concept of capitalist realism which is this bullshit, like capitalism has always happened and capitalism is forever and and it's the end of history and we'll never we'll never get anything better than that it's a natural state right to where people can't even like conceptualize something beyond capitalism in spite of the existence of socialism in our world they're starting to get to be this like this almost eugenicist like pandemic realism right like the pandemic just happens and it just is what it is and we've just got to manage it and no it should have been other countries had it done in months and it only swung back because we hoarded vaccines and then weren't careful ourselves. If everybody shut down the way, you know, China and Vietnam and and those countries were doing initially, um, where everybody was vaccinated the way again China, Vietnam, Cuba uh is, then then this wouldn't have swung back around, but you know, IP. Uh, we talked about the trip, the lack of trips waiver. Um, you know, so IP protections preventing vaccinations, uh, in global south countries, uh, pushback against, uh, vaccinations. But more importantly, you know, it wouldn't have to be all up to vaccinations, pushback against masking and shutting down and, and things like that. And more, and it's not just that people didn't want to, people didn't have the choice. They had to work. Uh, yeah. lack of, you know, Satisfactory working conditions, proper protective equipment, true shutdowns where people were paid to stay home so they could have that choice. Um, You know, that never happened in these countries and things never stopped. And comparatively, you can look over at China. You know, China did have, what, 1,200 cases in July. They had a couple hundred cases flare up a week ago, two weeks ago, something like that. It was two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, and then it shuts right back down you know because of their zero covid policy so most of the country is normal they're not even being as half-hearted careful as we are and then any infections spike up and bang they're they're in full shutdown for a few weeks get back to normal and then they're good it's an amazing policy when you put people over profits and we are doing the exact opposite to the point that Joe Biden whose entire job is to be the federal the leader of the federal government basically just looked people in the face and said fuck it Not a federal problem. Not my problem. Here's $800 billion for the military. I'm going to go play golf. And we're supposed to think he's different from Trump somehow.
0: Which is funny because when he was campaigning, there were tweets of his out there saying, the only way to stop this is a strong federal response now and all this other crap. And then- Not just just
1: tweets. That was his speeches on the campaign trail and everything. mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he marketed himself as the guy that would end the pandemic and somehow in that message it was already openings i mean i mean know he just boldface lied right like the build back better was a crock of shit you know there was the 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 um end um and offensive strikes in yemen the the war in yemen has happened. The whole time they just like change the the marketing to to its defensive, just like they change from the concentration camps on the border to what are still the concentration camps, but they're they're what immigrant spillover facilities they called them or something like that, something like that, yeah, and and you know so it's it's the same fucking thing, right? He was somehow supposed to end the pandemic, but then open schools. That was yeah. his. You know, we're going to open up schools and end the pandemic, and it's like those are incongruent things, Joe. Yeah, and and sure enough, the end the pandemic part is gone, and a, it, a year this is a year. He hasn't mm-hmm. even been in office a year. That not till January what twentieth is he in office a year? He's mm-hmm. three weeks away from being in office a fucking year, and he's given up. He's just fucking given up, given up yeah. on, his, on 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 on. I mean, his campaign promises were not that great, and he's given up on those. He just fucking Mm -hmm. doesn't care.
0: No. No, no. And no one, everyone, everyone saw this. Anyone listening to this podcast saw that coming. This this was Mm -hmm. telegraphed from day one. This was absolutely the way they were going to go. And and we've been talking about it ad nauseum up to that point. Not just to toot our own horns, but anyone who's
1: had any materialist analysis, all the parties out there organizing, I mean, saw this, right? Yeah. You know, anyone who was telling you, like, electoralism is bullshit, they, they saw this, right? It wasn't just mm-hmm. cynicism. It wasn't just being bitter. It wasn't just, you know, throwing your hands up in anger. It wasn't just not liking Joe for not being perfect enough. It was seeing this for what it was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it... it it's, again, it's not surprising, but it is, again, it's something we need to point to over mm-hmm. and over again, because you need to point to the time when your analysis is correct over and over and over again. And you can point to the examples of when it was correct, where you had the analysis and where it goes. It goes back to credibility of who is correctly calling shots here and who is able to see whose who's system of viewing reality is able to actually interpret things that are, are predictive and useful. And that's, again, where where the good ana- where analysis is really, really important and why, again, paying attention. Attention, uh, trust, you know, finding good sources, all of those kind of things are so critically important to being a, a communist of any stripe in this country.
1: Oh yeah, well, and remember too, we're pushing back on on propaganda and propaganda. I I, I hate this phrase because propaganda is about lying. <laughs> it's very yeah. much about lying, and and emphasis also assumes like largely truth with bad details. When it's usually lie, there's there's just straight up whole cloth lies. There's also lies with a kernel of truth, and then and then sometimes emphasis means like when you're saying like all of the stories of the North Korean defectors are false. You're saying escape from totality dictator kim jong-il why are their stories false and the emphasis is including those little like you know uh adjectives and shit right but nonetheless propaganda is isn't necessarily about lying it's about emphasis right and Mm -hmm. that includes de-emphasis when they're trying to de-emphasize that they're killing you right or you can look across the world at these countries that have like you know, 4,000 deaths to where 800,000 and counting and skyrocketing. Um, and they're going, Oh, but you don't know, want that scary authoritarianism. They're trying to de-emphasize the S that's here and then emphasize authoritarianism Over there, And it's up to us to reemphasize the reality. They care about their people, and in spite of having triple the population, have less than 1% of the deaths because they care about their people and have a good policy. We can execute that policy, and we won't. Because for one thing, we're deeply ingrained in white supremacist propaganda that makes our population harder to control in that fashion and push back, including anti-authoritarianism. And also, our government is just straight up structured – Where it's intentionally disoriented and powerless because it's only there to prop up existing power, and it is that existing power's interest that has us fucked over in the first place. Keep that emphasized.
0: Keep that emphasized that they are killing you for profit. Mm -hmm. And on that note, anything else for current events this week, David? Anything else percolating on on the home front? (sighs)
1: No, I mean again, you know, it I'm I'm sure there's Oh, 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 uh the uh the passing of Desmond Tutu.
0: Oh yes. Was, I apologize. Yes.
1: Yes. So um obviously I mean it's a big time of year. I believe uh December has a few big big uh birthdays as as well that, that we would have missed. But the holidays mm-hmm. there's a lot going on with our family, so sometimes it's hard to keep up with current events yeah. now. But uh but Desmond Tutu died, um, the, uh, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who, again, was very, outspoken against apartheid and Joe Biden pretended to honor him. And then of course that out came the word work of the like, Oh, he's anti-Semitic because he, he didn't say anything anti-Semitic. He called out Israel for being an apartheid system multiple times correctly, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? Um, but yeah, you know, uh, very sad to see the passing of, of Desmond Tutu and they are already somewhere between trying to still stay in his character and trying to whitewash him a la first paragraph and state and revolution Revolution. um so don't let either of those things
0: happen (laughs) yep all right well that being said let us take a leap into the work for this week we are starting back into neo-colonialism and we are starting at Our examination into Harmony Gold Mining Company Limited has led us on a long way around the world and into realms of power and prodigious wealth. This seems inevitable once we begin to trace the external interests that intertwine Africa's exploitation with that of many other parties of the world. Coming back to Harmony, it is impressive to note that this company, having a gold reduction plant capable of dealing with 200,000 tons of ore a month, also boasts a uranium extraction plant whose capacity is 120,000 tons monthly this plant began operations in april 1955 attached to it is a sulfuric acid plant with a daily capacity of 120 tons which started production in january 1960 see you guys it's just Mm -hmm.
1: been a week since we've been reading me and nathan it's been a little over a week and we just started breathing again and got through holidays and had our brains poked in the process and all the things so we're trying to remember that we were talking about uranium slime
0: uranium slime it's back it's back it's back (laughs) the uranium extraction plant was erected under agreements made with the export import bank of washington usa and the uk ministry of supply A loan was obtained from the Atomic Energy Board of South Africa for the entire capital cost of the plant, exclusive of the capacity extension from 80,000 to 120,000 tons monthly. The company is under contract with the Combined Development Agency as well as with the UK Authority alone to supply various quantities of uranium at fixed prices under arrangements which allow it, without incurring extra cost, to cover by June 1965 the capital expenditure on the plant. During the year ended June 30th, 1961, Harmony milled a total of 2,116,000 tons of ore, which yielded 857,974 ounces of fine gold, providing a working revenue of 10,800,000 pounds with a working profit of 4,090,000 pounds. 2 million tons of slimes treated yielded 974,000 pounds of uranium oxide, giving an estimated working profit from uranium, pyrites, and acid of 2,680,000 pounds. Accounts for the following six months to the end of the 1961 showed that 2,285,000 tons of ore milled resulted in a working revenue from gold of 4,458,000 pounds. Treatment of 2,138,000 tons of slime produced 953,000 pounds of uranium oxide, giving a working profit from uranium, pyrites, and acid of 2,284,000. For the working year 1961 to 2, the dividend paid was 55.5%. Net profit for the year 1960 to 61 was 6 million pounds and dividends paid accounted for 2.5 million pounds. All of this can be recorded as most satisfactory for shareholders on a fully paid up capital of 4,500,000 pounds. Messrs. Engelhard and Oppenheimer must bear a special regard for their friends in the Export-Import Bank for their ready aid in this venture, in a country that makes a mockery of human rights for its non-white inhabitants. Such ease of assistance, if extended to the less developed new nations of the continent by an international banking organization, would help lessen the gap that the developed countries are forever (coughs) depreciating, but which by by these stealthy means they serve to widen between the have and have-not countries." And that was Chapter 8.
1: Yeah, so, uh, fittingly, we're talking about South Africa, um, right around the, the the death of Desmond Tutu. Um, and, you know, we're talking about immense exploitation for gold. Um, you know, we're, we're making our Ninja Turtles secret of the ooze jokes, but immense exploitation for uranium. Um, we're uh, looking at, you know, just the corrupt loans (laughs) that let Mm -hmm. these companies flourish right you know if they loan to the, the country there's absurd terms and they're interested in getting their companies in there so they make the country open up and then they loan to these companies and they get them very good terms so that they can exploit for immense profit and that way you know coming and going the bank is making incredible returns on things and oppenheimer just dominates it right and this is an obscenely wealthy um, family and and these are the same monopolies that everything runs under you know again an extension of what lenin talked about in imperialism but far more monopolistic and powerful and you re- we reiterate what neocolonialism is right so in imperialism we talked about straight up settler colonialism still happens Right. Mm-hmm. And that's one form of imperialism. Uh, there's another form of imperialism where a country gets ostensible independence, but they're very much a puppet government, right? You know, like, you know who, who they belong to. Um. Then you get another form of imperialism where a country has independence, but they have to open up their markets uh, for capitalist monopolies to be able to extract resources out of. And then you get supposed independence, but financial dependence of the entire independent country on usually the colonial power that that – they were colonized for originally and there is some back and forth because owning that country does have some benefits versus other colonial powers but really they're all in it together and it traces all the way up because of these monopolies to American hegemony and with Mm -hmm. that then all of your natural resources are extremely easy for these companies to extract because you're totally dependent on the control of these countries and you see the kingpins of these monopolies, specifically in this chapter, Oppenheimer.
0: Mm-hmm. You want to take
1: us into chapter nine, David? Absolutely. Chapter nine, Anglo American Corporation Limited.
0: This one that's, sounds scary. It that sounds scary.
1: terrifying, yes.
0: There, that's uh, ominous.
1: Biggest octopus in the Oppenheimer Sea of operations is probably the Anglo-American Corporation Limited. Its investments are on a threefold scale, and the list of the main ones convey but the barest idea of their very considerable range. These are more or less direct participations and do not include the more intricate holdings held through or in common with subsidiaries and others in formal reach and extensions of interest. We talked about that last chapter, right? Like, maybe another company that Oppenheimer isn't in charge of... Owns this, but he's also on that board and his bank has shares in it uh-huh. and you know, I mean and, and so it's still coming up to Oppenheimer. This is just this is Oppenheimer, right? This is his yeah. little personal East India trading company. Um yeah, Principally in mining, they nevertheless branch out into processing, transport, communication, land holdings in a state, forestry and timber, industry, as well as into hydroelectrical power schemes like that of Rhodesia-Congo Border Power Corporation. Gold, uranium, iron, asbestos, and coal mines are among the corporation's most profitable notable undertakings in Af- South Africa, forming the solid foundation, which is the, the Oppenheimer Empire Stands. So this empire basically stands on exploitation of South Africa more than anything else. Again, why it was so important to topple apartheid and something we need to realize now, South Africa is still subject to the neocolonialism that this book discusses. Yep. Um Copper mining and its principal occupation in the Rhodesias, though it exploits also lead, zinc, cadmium, has the distinction of being the only producer of coal in Rhodesia, where it controls the wanky colliery. Through associated companies, its interests spread out into Tanganyika, uh, Uganda, the Congo, Angola, Mozambique, West Africa, and even in the Sahara and North Africa, as can be seen in the list of direct investments. There is an enormous list of direct investments like Africa loan investments, obviously Anglo-American investment. Um, Anglo-American Rhodesian Development Corporation, Consolidated Mines, De Beers, three fucking times De Beers, the diamond kingpins from South Africa, um, Epoch Investments. Jesus. Uh, A lot,
0: guys. When I tell yeah. you this goes like three I, pages, it goes like three pages.
1: Yeah, this is just the highlights, right? And that's, that's the finance and investments. So, of course, then we get to diamond mines, which – who else headlines that? De Beers. Yeah. Um, also, you know, new Jaeger's Fontine mining. So, some shit you haven't even heard of that's got some weird Norwegian sounding name. I don't know. I think there were some Dutch companies earlier, right? I think yeah. it's Dutch. So, it's probably a Dutch one. Um, Premier diamond mining, Williamson diamonds. There's also a whole list of coal mines. Jesus whole list Christ. Of
0: copper mines, gold, gold mines.
1: mines. There's just other minings. And of- again, other mining we talked about you know transvaal vanadium earlier um, manganese is a big big metal at the time uh, we talked about this every time we hear asbestos you're like oh great asbestos like the cancer material that they've had to rip out of housing but at the time it was a huge material. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we roll our eyes because we know, like, the harm from asbestos and that it's, you know, rightly illegal to use in, in buildings now. But it was – a bit, they were making tiles and drywall and all kinds of shit with asbestos at the time. Um, and then there's – just for good measure, there's an entire list of prospecting companies. Mm-hmm. Oh. And
0: then a whole list of industrial and sundry companies. And then the uh, most
1: fitting thing of all, land companies.
0: Land, land and estate.
1: Land mm-hmm. and estate. And that was five goddamn pages of list companies. Yeah, we're flying, baby. We, I was going to say, we gave you some very, very like flyover highlights that got a little looser as we realized how long the list was. Yes. But it's, it's a long list. It's important maybe to know the list, but it's not worth us reading off here. Um, it's interesting to note among the companies – two that are engaging in the enlistment of native labor namely Anglo Coleries recruiting organization and Hansen's native labor organization so they specifically have like native labor organizations like hey let's get Mm -hmm. the labor to really exploit Um, recruiting labor for the South African mines has always been an absorbing problem in connection with which there long ago grew up an efficient organization for importing workers not only from the reserves of South Africa itself but also from the protectorates, the Rhodesias, the Niacilans. There are long-standing arrangements with the authorities of the Portuguese colonies, particularly Mozambique, for the recruitment of African labor for work in the mines of South Africa. Enforcement of apartheid through the establishment of Bantustans such as that recently gone through Transki will force the chiefs under inducement to supply increasing numbers of local men for the mines. There is now a plan to stop the employment of workers from Zambia, Rhodesia, and Malawi, and even from the protectorates. It may well be thought that these people will be infected with the disease of nationalism and hence add fuel to the fire of unrest that has been lit in South Africa itself. It is significant that Mozambique Africans are still to be allowed the privilege of enriching South Africa's mine owners by their toil, not the least among them Anglo-American Corporation. So it's important not to let these people get a little too revolutionary. Don't let those workers get a little too uppity. Send them down mm-hmm. in the mines and if they start screaming about rights and things, just just get rid of them and get some new ones Mm -hmm. just fucking disgusting shit
0: this company was incorporated in 1917 to draw together a number of mining, investment and industrial companies already controlled by Mr. Harry Oppenheimer, and to bring them into tighter organization with such other interests as Mr. C.W. Engelhard, Chairman of Rand Mines, Kennecott Corpor- Copper Corporation, and other associates. As the guardian of these interests, Anglo-American acts as technical manager and secretary to an extensive number of mining and investment companies falling within its wide perimeter. In its executive, administrative, and secretarial capacities, it also arranges the financial life of many of the enterprises coming under its care this list given indicates only the barest of bones of anglo-americans multifarious investments and if we were to examine them in detail we should find ourselves reaching into a most tangled complex of arteries and sinews many of the undertakings are not only important in themselves but have involvements which weave together the mining industrial and financial world of africa with that of the rest of the world such organizations as the rand selection corporation union corporation rocana corporation limited and certain others participate in a self-perpetuating and exclusive ensemble Interaction and interpenetration of interest is a predominant feature emphasizing the monopolistic nature of African mining industry, whose leaders are the powerful arbiters of the continent's industrial growth, especially south of the Sahara. It is not difficult to understand how from this position they and their European and American associates and financial backers wield a predominant, a preponderant influence upon the policies of their governments in relation to the African scene. A look, for instance, at Rand Selection Corporation Limited brings us once upon uh, brings us at once upon one of the principal arms of the Anglo-American Corporation in the working of its vast empire. Rand immediately brings to mind the vision of fevered diamond and gold rushes that followed in the wake of the young Cecil Rhodes and his brother adventurers in the late eighteen seventies. Rhodes' quarrel with the Boers was over; the fight to penetrate the interior to get at the gold of the Witwatersrand, Witwatersrand. His Lit political leadership, surround.
1: huh? Lit water surround.
0: yeah, that one. His political leadership was assumed to make himself king of the mining wealth that had been discovered. It was according to a committee set up in the Cape to examine Rhodes' part in the famous Jameson Raid. In his capacity as controller of the three great joint stock companies—the British South Africa Company, the De Beers Consolidated Mines, and the gold fields of South Africa—he directed and controlled the combination which rendered such a proceeding as the Jameson Raid possible. The Jameson raid finished Rhodes politically in South Africa. It was then he turned to what is now Rhodesia, where he made the British South Africa company the power and the land that it has ever been since. Nor has the control of political affairs by all the great mining combines abated in any way since then. Rather, has it intensified until they are powers which control and direct affairs, not in Africa alone, but by their integration with other formidable combinations in Europe and America. They exercise great influence in these continents also, and hence internationally. De Beers and Goldfields remain. The intervening years naturally have seen an extension of the opening up of mines and their exploitation, accompanied by a constant adaptation of their financial arrangements. Goldfields heads a vast organization of its own. De Beers has come within the periphery of Rand Selection Corporation, but still controls within its own group of companies the output and distribution of most of the world's diamonds. In its own right, Rand Selection owns around 14,890 acres of freehold property in some of the richest mining areas of South Africa. A number of townships have been laid out by the company in which it has leasehold rights of high value. Certain of its rights – Are secured by a 92% interest in South African Townships Mining and Finance Corporation and its wholly owned subsidiaries. African Gold and Base Metals Holding Limited, Cecilia Park Party Limited, and DeWehurst Farms Limited. Rand Selection is, however, a subsidiary of Anglo-American, under whose direction its scope was enlarged at the close of 1960 to enable it to participate in any new business undertaken by Anglo-American up to the 1st of October 1970 on an increased percentage basis. The enlargement of Rand Selection was accomplished by the contributing of shares, loans, and cash due to Beers Investment Trust by Anglo-American subsidiaries of British South Africa Company. Central Mining and Investment Corporation Limited, De Beers Consolidated Mines Limited, and Johannesburg Consolidated Investment Company Limited, who have been joined by the American-controlled South African Company, Engelhard Hanovia Inc., and International Nickel Company of Canada Limited, controlled by the American Rockefeller Morgan Groups. Rand Selection then acquired all the issued capital of De Beers Investment Trust in return for the issue of shares of its own to the investment trust shareholders. Under the arrangement, De Beers' investment has become a wholly owned subsidiary of Rand Selection. That's it. That's the sentence. You can stop (laughs) there, Nathan. Yet at the same time, by the acquisition of its holdings in Rand Selection, De Beers is now the majority holder of Rand's 33 million shares, issued and fully paid up of the 35 million authorized to compromise its capital of 8,270,000 pounds. It is perfectly obvious that the loans and cash advanced to De Beers by the above-listed company were in order to enable it to facilitate it and its own and Rand's enlargement.
1: So, kind of like the the NBC NBC Universal uh, mm-hmm. brutal diamond mining of South Africa, um, and of course, you know, I mean, we we see this again, right? De Beers is is uh, an old name, and so it's still going to exist, but it's going to get ripped apart and patched back together and absorbed into stuff like fucking Rockefeller and Morgan. As a result of the 1962 implementation of the agreed arrangement, De Beers' investment is now known as Ranzel Investments Limited. It is three wholly owned subsidiaries, Rand American Investments, Uh, Party Limited, Rhodes Investments Limited, and Jamison Mining Holdings Party Limited now are consolidated with the Rand Selection Organization. The two holding companies, Rand Selection and Ransel, shared also in 1962 in the enlargement of another Anglo-American creation, Consolidated Mine Selection Company Limited, registered in the United Kingdom in 1897, whose interests cover the major mining uh, activities of South Africa. The assets of the consolidated mines were jerked up 15 million pounds by the acquisition from companies within the Anglo-American sphere of holdings worth over 10.5 million in the British South Africa Company, Central Mining and Investment Corporation, Johannesburg Consolidated Investment Corporation Limited, and Selection Trust Limited, as well as by smaller holdings in Bayhall Trust Limited and Rhodesian Anglo-American Limited. In return for ceding their shares, the participating companies have acquired shares of Consolidated Mine Selection Company. At the same time, Rand Selection took up, in association with Anglo-American Consolidated Mine Selection and Affiliated Companies, an option on the purchase of 400,000 shares in Hudson Bay Mining and Smelting Company, one of the three leading copper-gold mining companies of Canada, controlled by United States Finance. So, again, I mean, huge Canadian company, and, of course, it's, it didn't tell us specifically who, but probably you know Morgan or, or Chase or, or something along those lines, right? Wells Fargo-ish. Um, exercise of this option was made possible by loans in America, probably from the same interest behind Hudson Bay Mining. Rand selections operations also coincide with those of Anglo-American and the very important Swaziland Iron Ore Development Company, which has concluded contracts with two major Japanese steel producers, Yawada Iron and Steel Company Limited and Fuji Iron and Steel Company Limited, as well as with the General Ore International Corporation for the sale of them at 12 million tons iron ore over a period of approximately 10 years. So again, all these guys keep acquiring shares so that, You know, they're vertically integrated in 10 different interrelated industries, and they basically have 15 companies that dominate the market so that, you know, they can say, look at all these 15 companies we have, but it's really, it's really one, right? Mm. It's Nestle and Unilever in the grocery store. Um, All Anglo-American has enabled Rand Selection to participate in the purchase from British Coated Board and Paper Mills, a United Kingdom firm of a large holding in South Africa, Board Mills Limited. This, stated Mr. H.F. Oppenheimer in his report of the 71st Annual General Meeting of Rand Selection Corporation in Johannesburg on February 26, 1963, is one of the leading growth companies in South Africa and is managed by Stafford Mayer & Company – with whom the Anglo-American company has long been associated in the coal industry. Contractual arrangements with Anglo-American have secured Rand selection participation in a number of property developments in central Johannesburg. The two have also gone hand-in-hand with Anglo-Americans' widespread prospecting activities and in certain development projects. Among them are explorations into the feasibility of the Bush-Feld in ingius complex of South Africa. Here, indeed, an Anglo-American is the most ramified industrial and financial structure in Africa, powerful and commanding, the organization that governs the fate of many millions on this continent and stretches out its influence overseas. Like all monopolies, Anglo-American is never content with existing boundaries of its empire, but it is ever seeking extensions, partly because it cannot afford to be overtaken. Hence, it is continually conducting a comprehensive prospecting program in many parts of Africa and elsewhere in order to... To find untapped resources of mineral wealth that can be profitably ex- exploited and so that's talking about again you know this is this is a uh, tendency towards profit right this is capital yeah. 101 stuff you know they're, they're they they can not sit in their hands they always have to be growing so they're this immense grotesque monopoly where what do we talk about seven different industries, right? Real estate, yeah. coal mining, prospecting, gold, diamonds, finances, all of it. And they have like like, you know, 10 to 20 companies in, in each one that they've acquired and they're still looking to grow. Because mm-hmm. it's the only way they don't get eaten up by somebody else. Right. It's, exactly. it's the biggest fish has got always got to eat get eaten by a bigger fish, got to eat get eaten by a bigger fish. And and it just centralizes, centralizes, centralizes. It's kind of amazing that the entire world is not under one giant company at this point, because we practically are, but it's, it's amazing it's as broken up as it is, and it's still these practical monopolies. I mean, capitalism centralizes in very
0: powerful ways. Oh, my God, yes. But that is the end of Chapter 9. Uh, so we will be moving on to Chapter 10, The Diamond Groups. The diamond industry of South Africa brought in a revenue of 93 million pounds in 1962. Two-thirds of this was from Gem Diamonds, whose carat prices was recently raised by the industry's controllers. Of such importance is the diamond industry to South Africa that there is no duty on the export of rough diamonds. Diamonds are a major concern of Mr. Harry Oppenheimer, and it is through De Beers and the Diamond Corporation with their associated companies and alliances that the operation of his Anglo American corporation stretches out from South Africa into Southwest Africa, Angola, Congo, East and West Africa to control until recently the production and sale of pretty well eighty-five percent of the world's diamonds. I think De Beers' percentage of production is up now. Yeah, um, if probably. I recall correctly. I think they I think it's, they control more than eighty five percent at this point. Fucking absurd. Yeah. Even the distribution of the Soviet Union's quite important production has been added by the arrangement to dispose of red diamonds through De Beers selling organization. The De Beers group of companies, as we have seen, is controlled by Rand Selection Company Limited, tightly interwoven. It interlocks with the gem companies of Angola and Mozambique and the dominating complex that spreads across the Rhodesias and Congo. Rand's Selection now dominates the administration of the group by reason of its recent acquisition of the total holdings of De Beers Investment Trust Limited, now known as Ransel Investments Limited. Chief operating company is De Beers Consolidated Mines Limited, and still on its board is a member of the family of Solly Joel, the East End Londoner with whom Rhodes ventured into diamonds along with Alfred Bate. Consolidation of De Beers, Kimberley, and Grickland, uh, West Mines of South Africa, was the original purpose of the company. A considerable number of allied and even different interests have since been added. Besides the mines in South Africa, De Beers operates open cast workings along the south southern coast and in Namakoland, Southwest Africa. A 50% interest is held in Williamson Mine in Tanganyika. The other holding is the Tanganyika government. Among its subsidiary companies, De Beers Consolidated includes Premier Transvaal Diamond Mining Company, Consolidated Mines of Southwest Africa Limited, Diamond Corporation Limited, and De Beers Industrial Corporation Limited. Directly and indirectly, it holds something like 40% of the capital of Diamond Purchasing and Trading Co. Limited and Diamond Trading Co. Limited. (coughs) And 31.5% of industrial distributors, 1946 Limited. All these purchasing and distributing companies are main avenues through which the gem and industrial diamond production of the world's principal producers are distributed. De Beers Industrial has also interests in diamond production by its control of Greek Production, uh, D- Greek West Diamond Mining Company, Dutiot. Dutoit Span Mine Limited, New Jaeger Fontein Mining and Exploration Company, and Consolidated Co. Bufeltine Main Limited. What seems at first glance to be a rather curious interest for a company engaged in the diamond industry is De Beers Consolidated's 50% holding of the issued shares of African Explosives and Chemical Industries Limited. On closer examination, it will not appear as odd. The company thought it expedient and profitable to have its own avenue for purchasing explosives used in the opening up of working areas on its own mines and those of associated companies. That was the original aim. But once it's in the explosive business, it was a short road to their manufacture and expansion and to serious production of chemicals, especially those allied to explosive manufacture. The present-day operation of African explosives is by no means limited, nor is there anything innocent about them or the company's composition. Through De Beers Industrial Corporation, it is jointly owned by De Beers Principal, Anglo-American Corporation, and the South African branch of Imperial Chemical Industries Limited. ICI's ramifications and its control of a number of chemicals, synthetics, and manufacturing processes make it one of the most powerful monopolies in the world. It long ago reached the stage of cartelization with other foremost chemical and armament corporations. Its cartel arrangements with the major chemical and plastics material company in the world, the IE DuPont Denumerors Corporation, link it with the modern military equipment industry that seems to issue inevitably from chemicals manufacture. And we
1: know before, of course, not only is DuPont themselves, as it explicitly talks about here major into weapons manufacturing but i mean again we we talked about when Bayer acquired monsanto as people from the, the st louis area here um no you know monsanto made agent orange these chemical companies are weapons manufacturing companies big time because that's super duper profitable and that kind of goes hand in hand and so you see this pathway right De beers, diamonds okay vertical integration well we'll just buy the damn explosive companies Oh, my God, we can make a hell of a lot of money in these chemicals. Oh, cool. Now we're in weapons manufacturing. So we already are the most exploitive industry uh, in apartheid South Africa uh, to the point that they structure an entire white supremacist system around our profit. And, oh, by the
0: way, we also make weapons and everything in between. Yep. Explosives laid the foundation of the DuPont rise to power. Their first big order was to supply Napoleon in his vain attempt to crush Toussaint Louverture and the people of Santo Domingo. hey Shout-out to the Haitian Revolution. That's Uh, right. And the next was for the War of the United States against the so-called Barbary Pirates. The following quotation is from Cartels in Action quoted by Victor Perlo in The Empire of High Finance, page 195. This established the role of DuPont, which has continued to the present day when it dominates the greatest and most profitable single corporation in the world, General Motors. DuPont's association with ICI goes back about 40 years. It was in 1921 that more than half of the General Motors shares sold by the House of Morgan were bought by Explosives Trade Limited, a British subsidiary of the Nobel Industries with which ICI was connected. Explosives were among ICI's earliest operations, and its interest in Nobel's concerns in this and other fields were subsequently absorbed into the heart of the ICI empire. Ever since that early coming together, the alliance between DuPont and ICI has grown more complex. <laughs> Both of them had an effective patent and processing rights with which the German chemical combined IG Farben and they divided the world between them. Both DuPont and ICI continued to respect their arrangements with IG Farben during the war. DuPont and ICI have abandoned all pretense of business rivalry in numerous major foreign markets, including Canada, Argentina, and Brazil. There, they do business as a single unified concern through jointly owned local companies. They have succeeded in cartelizing these tributary chemical markets thanks to their combined power and prestige.
1: Okay, so basically, they don't even have to put an act up. Like everybody knows their buddies, they're just holding hands and skipping through the way and bullying fucking entire countries because you know they're DuPont and ICI. Um, if we see ICI in association with Oppenheimer companies in South Africa, this should not astonish us. Monopolies are constantly drawing together, aligned by common industrial and financial interests in a given field at a given time. Can we read that part again? Yep. Monopolies are constantly drawing together, aligned by common industrial and financial interests in a given field at a given time. Underline, 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 underline. Uh, the ICI Oppenheimer combination is not restricted to African explosives, but repeats itself in association with other Oppenheimer offshoots and groups. British Blessings is given to the enterprise through the second, the second mint on contract. The second mint on contract. That is a weird fra- turn weird of phrase. Way to I, say that, yeah. I yeah. I don't. I don't know that. Uh, to, to company of an expert from the British nuclear arms establishment moreover the military equipment produced at its factories is based on the specifications of the British army navy and air forces important though african explosives is to the oppenheimer combine and africa's military designs in africa it owes its existence to the diamond mining which was originally conceived it is only one of the de beers consolidated progeny there are several others among them in the investment company de beers holding limited of which controls 84.5 percent on the death of jt williamson de beers holding contrived to secure an option of the whole of 1,200 shares constituting the capital of his mine in Tanganyika, A deal was fixed at 4.1 million pounds with the beers responsible for a state duty and interest on in Williamson shares. Satisfaction of these items was made by secession of 320 shares to Williamson Diamonds Limited and to the Tanganyika government which subsequently bought up a further 280. The price of 1.3 million pounds agreed upon for these was met, together with 6% total interest out of dividends received by the government on its total holding of 600 shares. Consolidated Diamond Mines of Southwest Africa Limited, in which De Beers Consolidated has a majority holding, has a concession covering large areas of alluvial diamond deposits in Southwest Africa. Valid until we close the year 2010. Which that's
0: <laughs> – this
1: book was written in the 60s and it's – That would have been
0: very 11, far in the future then and it just it's, ended. It's,
1: yeah, it's just a decade ago. Um, this was extended by Southwest administration from a previous expiration date of 1972. I'm sure it's probably been extended since then. There you go. Um, A most valuable item in the De Beers inventory for profits is the De Pass royalty owned by Southwest Financial Corporation Limited, a full subsidiary of consolidated diamond mines. This royalty gives its owner 8% of the gross proceeds from the sale of diamonds produced in the Pomana area of Southwest Africa, in which Southwest Finance possesses landed property and other material rights and royalties. Participation in the diamond distributive trade comes to consolidated diamond mines through the following holdings, and this has only got five holdings. So we'll read these as Diamond Corporation Limited, Diamond Trading Company, uh, Diamond Purchasing Limited, Industrial Distributions Limited, and De Beers Holding. And it it lists the shares. De Beers is is the second biggest with one point one million, behind Diamond uh, Corporation Limited being about six million. Everything else is under a million. Um, its own production of diamonds has gone up from 895,000 carats to in 1958 to 933,000 in 1960 taken together with its earnings by way of royalties and investments in the diamond trade it's smaller wonder that it has over the past 15 years been able to declare the following impressive dividends so from 46 to 49 there was a 40% dividend plus a 10% bonus that went up to 20% bonus in 1950 it popped to a 125% dividend in 1951 until 1958 it was 150% year over year and then it's been at 200% since uh, per this chart. The company's fully paid up and authorized capital stands at 5.2 million pounds. Its net consolidated profit in 1960 was 10.7 million pounds after providing 4.6 million pounds for taxation. Dividends absorbed 5.6 million pounds of the major beneficiary being De Beers Consolidated. The estimated profit for 1961 was 12.8 billion pounds million pounds after providing 5.4 million pounds for taxation and 168,000 for dividends on preference shares. The figure for ordinary dividend payments is not included, but is likely to be higher than the previous year. Diamond Mining and Utility Company whenever SWE stands for limited is associated with De Beers consolidation by reason of a secession to the latter company with a large portion of diamond area in Southwest Africa. So even when De Beers doesn't have holdings in it, it still controls them by just controlling their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, in exchange for a 20% interest in the net profit of diamonds recovered, the company is under hundred and eighty Oh, it, it actually, it's a, I, I missed it. They're loading their, their minds out and getting a 20% profit. So, basically like labor exploitation, but with the minds themselves. Mm-hmm. Um the company has 180,000 shares in diamond dredging and mining company SWA Limited. I guess that's Southwest Africa, Southwest probably. Africa. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Uh, to satisfy this purchase, diamond mining and utility issued at par another 940,000 shares in July 1960. The authorized capital then being increased from 300,000 pounds to 500,000 pounds. Its other interests are 114,000 shares in industrial diamonds of South Africa, 1945 Limited which ceased operations in the spring of 1960, but retains 148,000 shares in Diamond Mining and Utility, as well as 197,000 shares in Lorelei Copper Mines Limited, in which Diamond Mining and Utility holds 200,000 shares. All in all, this demonstrates what might be described as a tight but cozy combination.
0: The most, the most interesting-, interesting hub over the whirling diamond wheel is the Diamond Corporation, whose 22 million pound capital is owned mainly by De Beers Consolidated Mines. Diamond mines of southwest africa and the ever-present anglo-american corporation the diamond corporation purchases on periodical contract the diamond production of the world's most important producers usually on a specific quota basis these diamonds are then marketed through the central selling organization together with the output of the De Beers group mines and those from the diggings owned and run by the south african government which is the mining business on state account where do the other diamond trading companies come in Diamond Trading Company Limited receives and sells to the market diamonds of gem or near gem value. Industrial distributors, Sales Limited, have a corner on drilling material and borat bore, bore for the mines. It's not borat. My brain wants to say no. borat. It's not borat. Borat. Uh, which whatever. they sell to the market. Uh, close associates of beers have also interest in these tributary companies of the group. Societe Minaret de Bucat S.A. <laughs> a company within the dragnet of the Société Generale de Belgique, has holdings in Industrial Distributors, 1946 Limited. Diamond Trading Co. Limited and Diamond Purchasing and Trading Co. Limited, Diamond Development Group Limited, and in another of the Société Generale's wards of the diamond world, Société Diamette, Borart, Industrial Distributors, also within Société Generale's direct investment portfolio, increased its 1961 dividend by about 20% over those of previous years. Becca's association with the Congo is continued to the Soci- Société de l'Avange de Culture au Congo S E C and C Maritime Belge C.M.B. So,
1: so now we're back into the French corporations that we get to try to pronounce, which is just
0: we're back in the French names. And you know what, guys? I don't want to pronounce any more French names today, so okay. we're not going to. Yeah. That's where we're going to end this episode.
1: Okay, wait. Before we do, Bort, Bort. Is bort. is an umbrella term for non gem quality mine diamonds, so okay. just garbage diamonds, like anything from something you'd polish off and be like, "Oh, that's brown," just marketed as chocolate to like shit you can't even sell like that, you know? Just yeah. anything that's not a full on diamond. Bort.
0: I just keep every time we talk about bort, I keep thinking of the Swedish Chef. Pork 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 pork, <laughs> pork, pork, pork. pork, pork, <laughs> pork. Pork, pork, pork. That being said, uh, this will be where we end the episode uh, for this week because uh, my cough is rearing its ugly head. And uh, we're talking about the Swedish chef. So that's how you know it's time to call it quits. Um, that being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. We read books and there are a number of different ways that you can reach out to us. One of which would be to call, uh, give us, I was about to say call us. Call us <laughs> on Gmail. I, I'm sure you can do that nowadays. Uh, call it to the the... the the talk line. We have a voicemail now. Sydney recorded me like, is your Gmail ringing? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? And then all this, I'm sure that's a thing though that does happen. That, Probably. You know, uh, and we're just old and don't, aren't up with the times. <laughs> that uh, it, You can email us, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on the hell site. Uh, we have a Twitter account, unfortunately. Uh, our Twitter is at marksmadnesspod. Uh, we occasionally tweet out that we have an episode. Uh Not often, but occasionally. Uh, And then you can also reach out to us on a more day-to-day basis by coming into our Discord server. Uh, Our Discord server is open and welcome for everyone as long as you're over the age of 18. Um, And other than that, It is just a good place to talk and have good conversations with comrades and talk about theory. Book Club is getting ready to restart for the year. Uh, I know they took off until after the holidays. Um, Book Club is getting ready to jump back in, so if you'd like to have another side book club if you don't already have one, this would be a great place to join. Uh, And then we play Final Fantasy fourteen because, of course, we we, we just do that. Um, But that all being said, David, I believe it is time for a disclaimer. Yes. So um, as, obviously, you know,
1: pandemics rage on, as homelessness is, is. Um, still going to be i mean people are forgetting the stuff is spiking out there um, because the the eviction moratorium has been gone for months um, as that stuff's happening and we need to get together we need to build our political our alternative political institutions we need to build mutual aid groups we need to build our parties we need to fight for each other it's important that we get this reading out there to you and the way this all started was nathan came up to me one day and was like hey i want to recapital and well you know i mean philosophy, history. These are things you want to read in a group. So you can come back and discuss it. It helps you retain it. It helps you understand it. It helps you tie it back to today. It helps you you know, in these group discussions. So you want to always be reading these in a group. Um, and, you know, Nathan said, hey, you already read it before. You can be my group. And we recorded it because two people is a pretty small group. And we decided to go forward with a podcast. And ever since then, uh, the vision we've kind of had with this podcast is hopefully you are in a reading group and a political education group. And we can be Another voice, another point of input, another point of context to that group. Let's say your political education or reading group is doing something else, doing another work, something short or something more applicable to the project you're working on now, and you're reading this by yourself. We hopefully we can be that reading group. We can give you that input, that context, that other perspective. We can help you review what you just read and retain it better. Um, and let's say it's not that. Let's say you know we're just like this book where we're essentially an enhanced ebook. Uh, we're giving you the context, but also reading a word for word other than when we skip through charts and lists of names um, or groups that or I'm sorry, groups, books that we summarize more, uh, whatever we can do to make this work more accessible to you, because we want this work out there guiding your actions. And when this work is driven into political action, that's a phenomenon called praxis. That's what we need in our organization. Now, uh, praxis is theory and action. Definitionally, praxis can't exist without theory because you can't have theory and action without theory. And without that praxis, the theory is completely useless. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip.
0: Amen. As always, that being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.